Today's Bible reading is taken from the book of Genesis, starting at chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're starting a new series, as I said before, and it's thinking about the topic of faith and particularly the journey of coming to faith. What's interesting, I guess, over the last few years that struck me is that the story we actually are most interested in is people who leave the faith, people who've perhaps seen the light, so to speak. Deconversion stories are what they're often described as people who've cast off faith rather than taken it on. Now, that might have been the trend for a long time, but I suspect the way that the world is now and the uncertainty has people who've left the faith considering whether perhaps those who've remained faithful have grasped hold of something, something of value. More and more, I'm, I'm reminded of that great saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. The reality is that in a moment of crisis, in a moment of hardship, we do want faith. We want something to cling to. We want something to hold on to. And so one of our hopes through this series is that we might provide some people with a roadmap to faith and understanding of what it means to come to faith in, in the Christian understanding of it. And also for those of us who are people of a Christian faith, that we would have a clearer sense of what it means to say that I hold to the Christian faith. And this morning we're starting with the story of Abraham. In fact, in the New Testament book, the New Testament letter of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a whole list of people who the writer describes as heroes of faith. And the first person in the list is Abraham. Now in our account, you might have noticed that his name is Abram at this point but it subsequently gets changed by God to Abraham and they're one and the same person. And essentially in chapter 12, this little story that we were told, these events of Abraham's life, we're given the roadmap in a sense to what faith looks like. There's two components to faith. There's the call and then there's the response. And the call comes to Abraham here. And what we see is that it's quite an extraordinary call actually. Abraham is asked to give up all the common sources of well-being that we have. He's asked to leave his country, he's asked to leave his people, and he's asked to leave his house, his father's household behind, 
and go to a new place. Uh, he's not even told what the place is at this point in time. And then in response to that call, in response to that request to leave behind all these things, these places of security, these places of belonging, these places of safety and acceptance, because that's ultimately what a household, a good household is, isn't it? A place where you feel safe and accepted, where you belong, a place where you are secure. In the, the, the call to leave that, God promises Abraham extraordinary things. He, he promises him a nation to be a great nation. Here he is, one man. God says, you'll be a great nation. He promises him uh, blessing. He promises to be his God, to be with him. And so having heard the call and having heard the response, Abraham goes and does it. It's very simple, actually, isn't it? It's a very simple roadmap that we meet here in this first story of faith. Called and responding. Given a promise and going in return to it. In fact, in James, another New Testament letter, James writes about the topic of faith and he says this. He starts actually with the story of Abraham in James. Uh, James chapter 2, and this is what he says. He says, after talking about Abraham, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Now, this is interesting. This is interesting. I think in our world, one of the things that's happened is people have got sick and tired of inauthentic faith, haven't they? They've got sick and tired of people who wear badges, who wear identities, but it doesn't seem to transform their life in any way. Now, if you're like that, guess what? The Bible agrees with you. The Bible agrees with you. Faith is meant to be transformative. Faith is meant to be radical. Faith is not a pew-sitter. Faith is not someone who just does something because their parents did it. Faith is not just something they've done because that's what they've done. No, faith is radical and transformative. And you know what? Faith is radical because it asks you to trust the bare promises of God over and above anything that you can do. Faith asks you to trust what he said over and above the things that are around you that you can provide for. Faith is radical. It's not shallow belief. But the other thing that we're struck by here is that real faith involves a sense of loss at times, doesn't it? It actually does. Abraham has to give something up quite significant. These are very significant things that he's called to leave behind. Real faith does involve a sense of loss, but it's always tinged with hope. It's always tinged with hope. And in a sense, this is such a great place for us to start as we think about the issue of faith and coming to faith. To come to faith involves real loss. We are asked to be willing to give up our, our sources of security, our sources of acceptance, our sources of belonging in light of the promises of God. And of course, you can only know those if you know the scriptures, if you know the Bible. But as we immerse ourselves in the scriptures, God calls us to certain things. And to come to faith means to be willing to follow those things at the loss of other things. Real faith involves real loss, but it's always tinged with hope because it's, it's loss in light of the bare promises, the great promises of God himself. Now, here's the thing, though. 
What sets Christianity apart from other religions isn't just fervor and commitment to a religious ideal. I mean, there are many religious fundamentalists, so to speak, who have great commitment. No, Christianity is different to all other religions on one basic point. Do you know where faith starts from? Do you notice where it starts from in this passage? Isn't it interesting? In verse 1, it is God who approaches Abraham. In fact, if we'd been reading the first 11, verse, 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, we, we wouldn't have actually encountered Abraham at all. We've got a, s- a small little family tree right at the end of chapter 11. But Abraham is basically an unknown wandering nomad. Uh, he has no connection to God up until this point. In fact, it's most likely, knowing what we know about the culture and times of Abraham's life, that he actually was a worshipper of other gods. There were many gods around. Abraham was a pagan, so to speak. He had, he had not done anything for God. He had not invested in God in any way. But the starting point of faith for Abraham is that God approaches him. And then do you notice something else? In verse 7, what takes place, for those of you who have the Bible in front of you, and you might remember it from the story when it was read, Abraham has done what, he's, what God has asked. He's gone into the promised land And then in verse 7, we're told that the Lord appeared to Abraham. I wonder why he appeared to him. Perhaps Abraham had got into the promised land and become a bit discouraged. He'd seen the inhabitants who were there. Maybe this wasn't the land that he'd first imagined. And certainly this wasn't the nation yet that God had promised him. But God appears to him. And then you know what happens? Abraham worships God. He builds an altar to him and he worships him. He calls on his name, we're told. And in that moment, we start to see full faith. Because faith isn't just giving something up. It's giving it up for the sake of the Lord, to honour him, to glorify him. And this, this is the heart, actually, of Christian faith. And this is where it starts to become different and perhaps uncomfortable. Christian faith is about God. It starts with God and ultimately every activity, every action of faith is motivated by an encounter with God, by the possibility of encountering God himself, by encountering God himself. See, Abraham ultimately acts on faith because he has encountered God. And that is, that's what's different with the Christian faith to all other faiths. It's not motivated first by receiving the gift, but by receiving the giver himself. My family lives in uh, Sri Lanka, and often I travel back to meet them. I remember traveling back once when I was a younger guy, where, of course, being Sri Lankan heritage, lovers of cricket. And uh, one night I was just about to head back home. We were having a small farewell gathering for me. My brothers and I, like I said, fans of cricket, and the doorbell rang. And I opened the doorbell, and there at the door was Kumar Sangakkara. Now, if you're not a cricket fan, you have no idea who that is. But this guy was the captain of the Sri Lankan cricket team and probably the best batsman in the world for a number of years. I'm not entering into discussion, but here's the reality. This world-class cricketer is standing at my door. What a night. What an extraordinary experience. And it turns out, actually, my mum had a common contact with him and had arranged for him to pop by. You know, she could have just arranged for him to sign a cricket bat and give me a cricket bat. And that would have been great, and I would have loved it. But it was so much better to meet him in person, to speak with him, to ask him questions, to hear his stories, to have a sense that I'd encountered him. 
And if I look back now, I've got this great picture of he and I standing together. The picture wouldn't have been the same if it was just me standing there holding a cricket bat, would it? <laughs> no, because the gift is one thing, but the giver is a whole other thing. And the heart of the Christian faith is the promise, the opportunity, the motivation of encountering God himself. To come to faith in the Christian terms is come to encounter God, to encounter God. And to see your faith as something that is first initiated by God and then motivated and fueled and driven by God himself. Now, for some of you, that is just uplifting news. But for a lot of us, I suspect this is actually where Christianity becomes much more difficult to put into practice. To come to faith is much more difficult if that is actually the roadmap to faith. Why is that? Well, I think it's because in our time, in our place, in our culture, in our land, in our way of thinking, we always have a nagging sense of what I would describe as self-belief, a sense that actually in the end, the person who we need to encounter is our true selves. If we can just find ourselves and have faith in ourselves, you've heard that term before, haven't you, that phrase, have faith in yourself. If we can find ourselves, if we can encounter ourselves, uh, then, then we'll be ready to go. If we, can just, if we can just trust ourselves, we can take control of this situation and things will be okay. It's interesting, actually, in the stories of Genesis, after this moment, Abraham goes off. We, we don't keep reading for the sake of time, but from verse 10 onwards, Abraham goes off and, and he actually goes through the promised land and beyond it into Egypt. And then... Uh, in fear of the Egyptians, Abraham decides to pretend that his wife, Sarah, is actually his sister. And he hands over Sarah to the, to the king of Egypt, almost as a way of protecting himself, he says. The king, thankfully, finds out the ruse, hands Sarah back to Abraham and rebukes Abraham, even though he's not a follower of the God of the Bible either. See, Abraham, in that moment was tempted to think that he could find the solution. He'd shifted his gaze, he'd shifted his view from God's bare promises to the promise of his own provision. And in that moment, he'd sought to crush Sarah in the process. You know, sometimes actually, when we believe in not just the value of an individual, but the self-sufficiency of an individual, we can be driven to crush others in order to achieve hope and promise. The Bible constantly warns us against self-sufficiency because it means that we ultimately end up hurting others at the goal of trying to um, build up a sense of hope and assurance for our life. And of course, the reality of self-sufficiency is that ultimately we're not just crushing other people, we're building on unstable ground. In, uh, in The Crown, season three, there's a great episode. I don't know if you've watched the Netflix program. But in this season, uh, the, see this, in this episode, Prince Philip uh, has a crisis of faith. And one morning he's at church with the Queen and he says to the Queen, the preacher's boring. This is obviously the challenge of most preachers. <laughs> I guess it's the end of most preachers as well. But he says the preacher is boring and he decides that he's no longer going to attend church. In fact, he's going to go off and do things that are more important. Uh, and 
And at the same time, the Apollo 13 story, uh, sorry, the Apollo 12 story, the, the story of going to the moon is unraveling at the same point and he's become enamored with this, this great story of humanity traveling to this new place. And he gets the chance to meet the astronauts. And so they come in and he's so excited about meeting these three men who have done what no other human has done before. But when he meets them, He's completely underwhelmed. Here are three young guys who seem pretty scatty and who've all got colds having returned from outer space and their immunity's low. And he sees not in them the best of humanity, but the limitations of humanity. That even the best of us actually can be broken. Aren't we being taught that very thing right now? Aren't we being taught about the limitations of humanity? Don't get me wrong. Humanism is a beautiful thing. It's taught us the value of an individual. But self-sufficient humanism ultimately builds on a shaky ground. And right now we're experiencing the reality of it. And, and sometimes you can look at people who appear to have great faith and make the same mistake. You think that their faith is like a character virtue. Somehow they are a better person because they have strong faith. You look at them and you're actually discouraged. But that's not the point of the Bible's roll call of faithful people. See, Abraham didn't have a perfect faith. Nowhere near it. In fact, he goes from highs and lows throughout the story. No, why Abraham is a hero of faith is because he has faith in the one who is ultimately perfect. He has confidence in God himself. And Abraham is a hero of faith because he ultimately points us not to his own faith as a, a faith to be modelled, but to the faith of Jesus Christ, who truly was perfect in his trust and in his confidence. You would say Jesus Christ, in the sense, was the true and better Abraham. His faith was perfect. Jesus Christ left his heavenly country he left his father's household to be born in a borrowed manger, to die on a Roman cross, to, to experience the excruciating reality of aloneness, of loss. Jesus Christ felt the real sense of loss that comes with faith, the ultimate loss that comes with faith. By remaining faithful to his God, he consigned himself to death and to judgment. And he does that. Why? So that you and I can experience the promises of God. So that everything that God has promised will come true. See, ultimately, to be a believer, to be a follower of the Christian faith, is to follow Christ, whose faith is perfect to know that God loves us and is with us and for us, not because we are perfect, not because our faith is perfect, but we have invested our confidence in one whose faith is perfect. And you notice what happens in this story, that as Abraham re-encounters God, as, as he encounters God in verse 7, and God appears to him, what happens? It propels him further into the land of promise further into the land of promise. I mean, he gets in there, he's scared, it's just his household, there's a whole new civilization surrounding him who we know from later in the Bible are very cruel and wicked. It must have been very overwhelming to go into the land of Canaan. But having encountered God, 
his faith is strengthened, his heart is filled, and he worships God and he goes further in. I'm reminded of the story of Jim Elliot, who was a, a missionary who went to Ecuador in the 1950s. He and his wife and his family, young kids. They went into Ecuador with a number of other missionaries. They had a heart to show a particular tribe of Ecuador the gospel, give them a chance to hear about Jesus and make their own decisions. But the problem was they picked this tribe who everyone knew was very violent, very murderous. In fact, a number of the other tribes were scared of them as well, we hear in, uh, in Elizabeth Elliot's account of Jim Elliot's life. But Jim and his friends were convinced that this was what God wanted them to do. And so they went further and further into the jungle. Eventually they made contact. The news was good until suddenly, out of the blue, they were murdered. And as the story kind of draws to an end, I guess Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, senses that we as readers are overwhelmed by his sacrifice. How can you do this? How can you take such loss for the sake of such bare promises? How do you do that? And I guess knowing that we've got this thought in our head, she reads out part of Jim's diary, one of his last entries. I'm going to read it for us. This is what he said. He said, Oh, the fullness, the pleasure, the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him, if only I may love him, please him. Mayhap in mercy he shall give me a host of children that I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him, touch his garments and smile into his eyes. Ah, then not stars nor children shall matter, only himself. You see what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, I'd love it. I'd love it if I have a great family. I'd love it if they could all know you, if my great joy would be to introduce them to you. But if I can't have that, that's okay. All I really want in the end is to have you. Is to have you. It's an extraordinary story of faith, isn't it? But here's the thing. Jimmy Elliot is just like you and me. The only difference is that he'd encountered Jesus Christ. He'd encountered the beauty of Jesus Christ. He'd encountered the promise and the glory of being face to face with Jesus Christ. He'd seen the glory at the end of the story. He'd seen the extraordinary excitement of staring upon the holiness and wonder of God and not being afraid of being counted as one of his brothers at sitting at his table. These are the promises that lie in store. And for Jim, this was enough. This was enough. And this is what propelled him further into faith. And that's the truth for each person. The more you encounter Jesus Christ, the more you will be driven into faith, the more you'll be willing to leave behind those things and follow after him. You want to know where, what the roadmap of Christian faith looks like? It looks like encountering Jesus Christ and letting his glory overwhelm you and fill you with joy and peace and thanksgiving and then seeing your life transformed. My prayer for you, particularly if you are exploring this question of coming to faith, is that you would encounter Jesus Christ, find him in the scriptures, read about him, meditate upon him, and savour him. Let me pray. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ. 
I pray that you would equip us each to put aside our own sense of self-sufficiency and to grasp hold of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.